Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jeff Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee is Lee Younger. Yes, I'm here. We're back. We took a week off. Um, it was Labor Day, and, uh, you know, technically, being that this involves pushing buttons, I'm calling, I'm classing it as labor. However, we were resting from our labors. You're welcome. If Jed and Lee ever try to unionize, I will strike down with a with a <laughs> Howard Schultz-like ferocity. That doesn't sound like you, Matt. And we'll shut this podcast door, but open another one next door. It'll just be a coincidence. The local 777 Association of Say That Podcast hosts. Yep. <laughs> what do we want? More internet dollars. When do we want them? Probably starting eight years ago. Still not sure if that's a thing. <laughs> but we are back. We have some of your uh, fantastic questions lined up. They came in in the interim. But first, I'm forced to declare a mega church emergency. Oh. What? This is something. Right. That, uh, and hey, you know, it's a time-shifted medium. And sometimes uh, we, we obviously we're reacting to news and incidents and whatnot after the fact. We see them. Somebody sends one. This is a rare, timely say that emergency. If you're in the Chicagoland area and so interested, this show will come out on Wednesday, September 14th. On Friday, September 16th at Willow Creek Community Church, you can check out the Life Surge event. Life Surge. Featuring such luminary giants of the faith as the Duck Dynasty guy. Oh. uh, The founder of Auntie Anne's Pretzels. Aha! And Timothy Tebow. Life Surge! Wait, does it not include the energy soda from the late 90s? I mean, if you can find one, that's an act of faith. Surge on Life Surge. <laughs> that is less dumb than the actual sur- uh, the actual slogan I'm reading. from Because okay. uh, Jed found this on Facebook because the three of us have liked and Looked at a lot of things on Facebook over the, over the years. So the algorithm's pretty wackadoo for all of us. Things we regret. Yeah. Um, when you work in the the church-adjacent space for many years, as Jed and I did, you do a lot of, yes, pastor, I will like your church's page. That is a nice thing that you send me the link, and then you end up getting <laughs> ads for Life Surge. So, penance. Life Surge! But I'm on LifeSurge.com, the slogan of which is, Surge Your Life, God's Way. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which surge your life surge it. does sound like the surge slogan from like 1994. Surge it real good. <laughs> no kidding. This is this is a true story. When I was in high school, surge came out. Yeah, and <clears throat> they had a what, was it a was it a Pepsi product? Does anybody remember or a Coke product? I think it was a Coke product because I think it was basically kind of a replacement for Mellow Yellow, which is wrong. Mellow Yellow is sacred and should be respected. Yeah. And it won out. <laughs> well, in any case, they had the Coke sent a representative to our high school because they were installing a surge machine and they were going to do some marketing and everything. And oh, they snap! Actually, had a little TV crew. They were going to interview some high school students, and the kid that was was playing drummer in in the in the metal band that I was in at that time, <laughs> the grunge band that I was in at that time, um, they offered him some surge, and this is one of those human beings that. He was Surge. Like, <laughs> he before they invented Surge, he had Surge like flowing through his veins, 
And then okay. all of us who knew him were like, no, 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 don't give him surge. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things where like they turned on the cameras. He just starts crushing a surge and just instantaneously became like a gremlin right there. Like it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know if they could use the footage. I don't know what of the structure remained. Yeah, I, I I like the idea that in in the background, your school's equivalent of groundskeeper Willie was screaming, "Willie warned ya!" <laughs> yeah. If we could find this dude today and get him on the stage at Life Surge <laughs> with another can of Surge. <laughs> oh yeah. The other Surge centric Oak Ridge memory I have is <laughs> I recall the same uh, vending machine Lee is talking about in the Oak Ridge High School. Cafeteria, it held on for a while. The other thing they had was, I don't know if Oak Ridge was like one of the, one of the central like launching points for this campaign or something, maybe because they thought, oh, a city that's already radioactive, they'll, they'll be able to handle (laughs) surge. But there was like, so there was a mall when Lee and I were growing up in this little town we're from. And one of the things. In quote fingers. Yeah. Well, it started out as a mall and then it became just a kind of vacant indoor space. But when it was still a mall, there was like a, I recall it as like a four foot high by 10 foot wide surge advertisement, like just taking up an entire wall at like a, yeah. like a corner. Um, but long after surge was no longer a thing and this mall was though physically present, really no longer a thing that surge advertisement remained. Oh, so yeah. on the occasion that like, oh, we were yeah. doing like a young life thing and a place that was adjacent to this, we had to like walk through an area to get something. And it was just like, it was like a planet of the apes moment of just like, it used to be a civilization along. here. No trace of it left. That's incredible. Dude. Well, we'll get back to life search in a minute, but for the sake of, uh, for the sake of completeness, I'm on the surge Wikipedia page. Oh, okay. Uh, introduced February 7th, 1997, as you might expect. Right. Yes. Um, it's introduced. So there's an introduced section in the, the Wikipedia. This continued original run 2003. So that held on. Um, okay. Wow. Introduced in 2014 as an Amazon exclusive revival. Ooh. And then this one will great reach out and grab you. Surge was re-released internationally in September 2018 in Burger King restaurants in the Coca-Cola freestyle machine. <laughs> <laughs> Just okay. going to a Burger King and getting surge out of that thing, which I imagine to Lee's point about his friend, there's somebody who has just like shoved their head in the Coca-Cola freestyle machine <laughs> is just pouring surge into their gob. Oh yeah. <laughs> and just going, you know, two thirds surge, one third Hawaiian punch. I'm doing it, yeah. man. Nobody's ever <laughs> yeah. dared to do it. The other just delightful bit from this uh, Wikipedia page is while preparations for the U.S. launch are underway, a cry for help came in the Norwegian division, which I really like the idea of them like lighting the lighting the signal fires. Yes. Gondor calls for aid. <laughs> yes. I like that whoever wrote the cert on the surge Wikipedia page really got their uh, their use of their MFA and creative writing out of there. Oh, yeah. So the who are battling a successful launch of Mountain Dew in their market. Where's this TV movie, by the way, of the Norwegian oh. Soda Wars? Yeah, yeah. 
Look, if there's an Amazon relaunch, then there's got to be a Prime Video special coming. There you go. Vertical <laughs> integration. Chris Pratt is going to be in it for some reason. <laughs> okay, I just had an idea. This is semi-snarky, but I, I think this could work. All right. So, like, it, it's a true fact that this is going to come back to Surge. Hang with me for a second. It's a true fact that one thing that that people can do that's better for the planet, that helps the environment, is is to lessen... Drink Surge! This podcast brought to you by Surge! We're actually going to get there. <laughs> You'll have the energy to do so much more environmentalism. This is what I'm saying. If you if you eat less meat, it is better for the planet. This is a true fact. And Burger King is a place that you can go, and they have, like, the plant-based patties. You can have, like, a plant-based Whopper. Oh, uh, yeah, the Impossible right. Burger. They're really, really good. And it's occurring to me that you could go eat plant-based at the right Burger King and have an Impossible Whopper and a Surge to drink. And it's creating the quest for what is the least healthy plant-based meal that you could eat. What is wow. the most American, most junk food, most fast food meal that you can eat that's still plant-based? That is a show I would watch and participate in. Wow. That would be incredible. Who's got <laughs> a, the biggest surge they can hold, the large yeah. fry, but they go for the yeah. Impossible Whopper. And they and I was like, not only am I doing something good for the planet, I'm doing something good for my health. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> I just... I just imagine Jed with the Route 44 surge just dipping the Impossible Whopper in it like an Oreo in milk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, that, before we <laughs> transition back. So, uh, meanwhile, in the Norwegian soda wars, um, so they, Gondor calls for aid to launch. If, wait, if that's, if that's not the episode title, <laughs> I'm going on strike. <laughs> with my union friends tomorrow. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Norwegian soda wars. Fair enough. <laughs> That's Lord. good. It's going to get better because, so they launch the, the surge counteroffensive, but apparently in Norway, because the surge brand was already registered by another firm, the product was launched as Urge. Oh, oh no! Oh, you're joking. Get the oh. urge. Okay, hold on, hold on. We're gonna bring this in a beautiful segue back to Illinois and Timothy Tebow. Okay, can give me give me the title of the conference again? Life surge. So uh, drop the S <laughs> or move the S to the end. Life urges. With Tim Tebow and the gal from Annie's from, from Annie's pretzels. It's like on, like when in the Simpsons, whenever they would go to like a thing, they would always do a gag where they would cut to an exterior shot of like the arena or the library or whatever, and there'd be a sign with like coming next week, and it'd be like four jokes packed in there. You know, they yeah, they, they did pre VCRs where they didn't do them, but just because they're all insane. But I just like the idea of right outside Willow Creek, just. Tonight, Life Surge. Next week, Live Urges Youth Conference. <laughs> How many pretzels can Tim Tebow eat before he must have a surge? That would be so much more useful than whatever they're doing at this conference. The tagline to which is worship, wisdom, wealth, impact. Oh, 
Come on, man. I feel like one of those is going to get more emphasis than the others. <laughs> Worship? No. Oh. Impact? No. Oh, dang it. I've only got two left. Come on, Brewer. <laughs> you can do this. We're just going to. Wisdom. Well, that's going to come in fourth again. You're getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, Jed, uh, we could use worship to generate uh, wealth. There it is. There you go. How would that not occur to me? These pretzels are making me thirsty. There you go. <laughs> yes, sir. Well done. We, we've, referenced, uh, we've referenced Surge. We've referenced The Simpsons. We've referenced Seinfeld. We're going for the, we're going for the mid-90s <laughs> trifecta here. Yeah, I was going to say your, your 90s bingo card is going well tonight. Say oh, that, yeah. friends. <laughs> Let's, well, they they helpfully break down each one of these into a little oh. something here. Worship at and every time they write their uh their name, it is written in all caps. So at Life Surge, we want to help you discover practical ways to step out and fulfill the divine dream and passion of your heart. You will hear from Willie Robertson, who turned his passion into a profitable business. He'll share the inside story of how his love for duck hunting became a million multi million dollar business. He'll give insight on how God provided his family with opportunities through Willie's business to reach the world with the gospel. So if that name sounds familiar, Willie Robertson is the Duck Dynasty guy. Is that what they did? Did they reach the world with the gospel? Totally. I'm pretty sure his dad invented that duck call and then he just like inherited a business. So that's a little different than um, turning your passion into a profitable business. I've never heard of that before. Funny that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm sure we're going to get to be here. Wisdom. Work okay. is God's design. Nope, not true. Literally not true. <laughs> we, we're too, we're too <laughs> sins in. We've already gotten to blasphemy. That's just. Yeah. <laughs> therefore, it's his domain. Your work is worship. Okay. The, cool. The Benham brothers will spur you on and continue sure. to hold fast to godly principles in business. Because of their faithfulness to God's way in doing business, what at first seemed to be a great loss became an opportunity for God to show himself strong on their behalf. God has taken the Benham brothers to another higher level in business at Life Surge. You will be equipped and inspired as a marketplace minister. Oh. That's not oh. the end of the sentence. I'm just giving everyone at home a chance for that to sink in. <laughs> Life Surge. Marketplace minister to take your work to the next level. Now, you may be asking yourself, who the blue hell are the Benham brothers? <laughs> I am asking that. Well, I've scrolled up, and I've hit the little drop down. They're the, I don't know if this is the title of a business or a self-given title. It says, Acclaimed Kingdom Entrepreneurs. Twin oh, brothers okay. David and Jason Benham are former professional baseball players, nationally acclaimed entrepreneurs, and best-selling authors. Their first company grew to 100 offices in 35 states and catapulted them onto the national stage. They top charts like Inc. Magazine's fastest growing company, Franchise 500's top new franchises, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's top small business of the year. U.S. Chamber of Commerce noted evil right-wing organization, just in case anyone's wondering. Uh, after a brief time as HGTV reality te- television host, the brothers built a thriving community of faith-filled entrepreneurs called Expert Ownership to equip and empower believers to stand strong for the faith in the midst of a morally declining culture. Mm. I think these guys are yeah. baseball players who then had a failed HGTV show who now teach people how to be landlords. Cool. Hey, c- question, because I, I could have misheard. The, the business, like the one that had like a million locations, 
Did they ever identify what that business was no. in that copy? Yeah, that's really curious. Mm-hmm. Very, very curious. Almost as though they're not associated with it, and part of the terms of their exit was they couldn't drop the name of it in their promotional materials. Uh, that is really interesting. Isn't it just... <laughs> so we got them. We're still we're still working through some situations, is how I would describe this. We're on to wealth. This is where I imagine the audience at Willow Creek's ears are going to perk up. Poverty is not God's plan for your life. Weird. The huh. plan for Jesus's life and the disciples and John the Baptist and most of the prophets and but not you, person sitting in this Willow Creek sure. audience. Sure. Which actually, I can I can be clear. If you f- somehow found, if you can get to Barrington, Illinois, poverty is not part of your life. <laughs> they would stop yeah. you at the border. Wealth is not a curse. It is provision in the hands of the child of God. Uh-huh. Life without limbs, entrepreneur Nick Vujicic is an inspiration. He will challenge you to stop focusing on what you lack and get, and take the lid off your life. But God can put provision in your hands for kingdom impact. And uh, so Mr. Vujicic seems to be a person who was uh, born without arms or legs and is now a motivational speaker, author, whatnot, which is lovely. That's great. And I like how they're kind of, I don't want to say using him. That's unfair. They're branding a lot of this as like you're overcoming challenges like this guy who was born with, you know, congenital condition. Absolutely. And also the duck dynasty guy who inherited a business and Tim Tebow and some professional baseball players, you know, people who were born in the top 1% of athletes in the world and turned that into millions yes. of dollars. Yeah. I also, and the, so the impact and they talk about this other lady, uh, Miss Shearer is going to teach you about impact. And she is, uh, I think she's Tony Evans' daughter. That's right. Yeah. So, again, real bootstrap stuff there. Um, apparently, Tim Tebow is going to talk about something, but they won't, they don't tell you on the site what he's going to say, which is interesting. It's the pretzels, man. <laughs> he can't compete he's with the pretzels. He's going to be hammering pretzels. Hey, man, I, I, would, I would consider going to this if they were like, oh, the Doug Dynasty dude is going to tell you about overcoming obstacles and these two. Knockoff Property Brothers is going to tell you about whatever. And then Tim Tebow will eat 300 pretzels. <laughs> Can I just come for that part? For the first time in his life, Tim Tebow will actually overcome adversity. That adversity, 300 pretzels and only one can of Surge. Life urges. Okay, so here's a quick peek behind the curtain. One of the things that we have learned in the time that we've done this show is that um, there is very little vetting in the Christian world in terms of people doing research on stuff before they hey. put it out there and blah, 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 like a shockingly small amount of it. So as an exercise to the reader, we want to encourage you, go on Wikipedia and read the entry for the Benham Brothers. It is fascinating. I don't think I want to give you any of the details here because I really want you to go and read it for yourself. It is it's worth your time, and particularly so now that you've heard the way that they were introduced on the Life Surge conference to read an actual factual listing of their deal. You should take time to do that. Yes. As a, as a quick preview, I will read you only the headings of the Wikipedia sections. Education and baseball careers. Real estate business and media careers. Missioneering. Flip it forward HGTV. Filmography. 2020 legal case. Huh. <laughs> then personal lives. One of those 
is the longest section. <laughs> we'll leave you to that. So, um, yeah, more surge talk than I anticipated, if I'm being brutally honest. But I feel that that is more edifying, again, than uh, listening to people who are all born on third base tell you how much uh, faith and uh, grit they had to show to get their millions of dollars. But if you want to, you can drive to a church that is so expensive, it is a Tower of Babel level of laughing in God's face, and hear these people talk about how God doesn't want anybody to be poor, and that is that is the thing people are going to do on Friday. So whatever you're doing on Friday, um, it won't be that. So feel good about that and yourself and the choices you've made. And with that, we'll move on. We move on to our first question. If you hang with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll well, down. I was going to say, Matt, normally we say emergency off, but in this case, it's just emergency over there. Yes. This. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the, uh, well, even Surge came back. So I say, other than the Surge soda, everything we mentioned is still very much an ongoing emergency. Yeah. If you can find a Burger King and get yourself a Surge, it'll be a more edifying experience. <laughs> than going to this conference. Yes, we move on to our first question. You can scroll down the episode description, click the links there. If you have a question for us, we'd love to hear from you. First question comes in and says, speaking of vetting, what do you guys make of the Matt Chandler thing? It doesn't seem as extreme as other church scandals, but it feels like it's a bit of a pattern. Yes, yes, it does. That is an astute mm. observation, question asker. But uh, if you're unaware, and again, uh, just... I envy the blessed life you have if you're unaware of these kind of nonsense things. Uh, Matt Chandler is the uh, pastor of the Village Church in, I don't know, somewhere in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in uh, Texas. It's a Southern Baptist church. It's giant, if you're uh, familiar with the Acts 29 church planning network. He uh, co-founded that with fellow disgraced pastor Mark Driscoll. Um, So that's going super. Um, He recently uh, was announced to be on leave after it came out that he was exchanging Instagram DMs, I believe, with a female attendee of his church. There's a, there was a very strong uh, attempt to word that as it wasn't anything. I believe the term they used was lewd or inappropriate. This woman was married. They said that both her husband and, Dris- and not Driscoll, uh, Matt Chandler's wife, were aware that they were DMing. And he, uh, I believe the wording they gave was coarse and unguarded. Um, so there's some very careful wording, but to our question asker's point, um, there is nothing that has come out in that initial report or in the subsequent ones that uh, shows any kind of abuse or extramarital anything. So we want to be clear about that. But to their also very good point, there does seem to it does seem to fit a pattern of a lot of other stuff that's going on. So how do we generally think about? These things in general, this one specifically, or kind of anything in that general direction. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, just to double check real quick, right? So what's Chandler's current status? He's resigned or taken a sabbatical or a hiatus or what, what's his deal? I think he is on like leave while they're investigating it. So he's okay, not fired, but not like doing the job. Got it. Got it. Which, so if you're a listener to the show, so you're aware, like the whole thing, like we're going to investigate and the so-and-so is going to be on leave while we do that. That's often a way, it's basically often a soft firing. It's a way to get that guy out of what he's been doing. And then later, just without a lot of press, just kind of let him go. 
because a lot of this boils down to basically PR crisis management. Um, you don't want this mm-hmm. church network that you've built to completely implode, even though you're going to have to exit the guy that that did whatever he did. I don't know that that's what's going on here, um, but that is a strategy one could employ. Yeah, it's definitely that kind of he's on leave and we are investigating whether it ends up that way or the way it ends with a lot of unfortunately things like police departments is it's also a way to, from a PR standpoint, seem to be doing something when you don't want to do yep. anything. So six months yep. later yep. or whatever, you can just say, oh, we conclude our investigation and investigations are a funny thing. Anyway, he's back. Yeah. But yeah. to Jeff's yep. point, yep. that is a very common um, first PR step to just announce those two things in concert. Yeah. So there's an old phrase um, that you've probably heard before, but just in case, uh, the phrase says, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And it's a phrase that that most people associate with Richard Nixon and Watergate. And the point of the phrase is that very often when people get in a lot of trouble, they wind up in more trouble for the attempt to cover up what they did and obfuscate what they did and redirect from what they did rather than the actual thing that they did. Um, that's not true universally, but it, there's certainly a, a trend line that that points in that direction. Um, and it's worth noting there, there's something interesting about American culture. There's something interesting about church culture where if you, um, if you do something that's, that's no bueno and you uh, like actually admit it and like, Hey, this was wrong. I shouldn't have do that. I, I apologize. And I take full responsibility. A lot of people are actually shockingly willing to just like, okay, well that's fine. Like, not everybody, but more people than you think are actually prepared to just kind of, you know, let, let bygones be bygones, but hardly anybody is ever willing to do that. Now, if we, if we want to be fair to folks like a Matt Chandler, they are being advised by a crisis PR firm guaranteed. Like there's no way that wouldn't be going on. And, um, I don't think any current crisis PR team would ever tell you to do that. Um, like clearly the, the strategy they're all employing is, you know, deny, obfuscate, you know, downplay, blah, 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 blah. But what that leaves us with is, dude, you did something and you did something sufficiently bad that you've essentially been pre-fired. If, if they've removed you from leadership and they've, they've done so in a way where they're making the public aware that that has happened, you did something bad, dude. Like this is, this is a, a big deal. And so now what we're left with is this weird situation where we all know you're wrong, but you and kind of your church leadership both have made things kind of massively worse by just refusing to admit it and tell the truth. And for a lot of people, the game over element is that unwillingness or inability to just admit it because here's what's happened is you did something you shouldn't have done. That makes you a hypocrite, but we're all hypocrites on some level. Like a lot of people are willing to be kind of understanding about that because none of us live exactly the way that we wish we did or say we should, or, or, you know, represent ourselves as, but a lot of the, the obfuscation that's going on here is you're a hypocrite, but you're also telling the rest of us that you think that we are really, really stupid. Mm. And people are not going to go for that, man. 
Like you may have a, a small percentage of people who have just totally drunk the punch on your thing. Or like, ah, hey, well, if, if pastor says it, I believe it. But for everybody else, dude, we all know that you're hiding stuff. We all know you're not being straight with us. And you're trying to convince us that something happened, but nothing happened. I mean, that, that is the thing that you're, that you're trying to sell us on. There's no such thing as that, man. And so it, it kind of boils down to it's, it's an insult to our collective intelligence. So to go back to the original question of, you know, what do we make of the Matt Chandler thing? It doesn't seem as extreme as other church scandals, but it, it still feels like it's, it's part of a pattern. I think part of the pattern is that there is a lack of vulnerability. There's a lack of transparency and there's a lack of honesty. Um, before this scandal broke, here's what you were getting out of kind of this, the, the Matt Chandler verse, right? The cinematic universe of Matt Chandler, which is the world's worst Marvel movie. Um, you were getting a media package. You were not getting an authentic representation of who this guy is, what he cares about his heart. It was a, it was a packaged thing. It was designed as a product for you to consume it. That's what you were getting before. Now you are getting the attempt to save that business model. It was a package before. It's a package now. And you couldn't maybe see it as clearly before, but you can super duper see it now because it's an absurd level of lack of vulnerability and lack of honesty and lack of transparency. And so I think the the big, big pattern is this is all a business. This is all yeah. a high dollar, big money business that's selling you a product that feels like this guy is a pastor that's pastoring you when this is a media product with a celebrity at its helm with all of the problems that that entails. I mean, that's a, such an important way to put it and really speak to speaks to what's going on here. And as, as Jed pointed out, a lot of what's happening currently and happens a lot of these things is out of a crisis PR management playbook, which is, it was a thing. You, you see the same thing. If this happens to a CEO, you see it when it happens to a movie director, there's or a, a coach on a foot on a football team. That's this, this is a script and it's, I can't fault them necessarily for using that because it is the, in some ways the wise thing to do. But I think part of the unease and the pattern this points to is it is the script of a giant business and they're following yep. it because they're a giant business. And, yeah. and Lee, I wonder if even absent anything else coming out, um, you know, we're not saying Matt Chandler did anything, anything untoward, anything sexual, anything abusive. That's none of that has been uh, put forward in any way, shape or form. As Jed is saying, when you don't tell us what it said, imaginations are going to run wild, but that's, 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 right. let's put that aside. You are handling this as if you're the CEO of a large business and a lot of money's riding on it because that's what's happening. And is that part of what kind of may feel unsettling to a lot of us about this? Absolutely. I think <clears throat> one of the issues that we have here is that for some reason, the word church and pastor is involved. Um, when this is not what the church or a pastor was ever supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the problem that we have here is that when you're saying, is this part of a larger problem? Yeah. It is a problem that, uh, that the word pastor could be, um, 
could be coined for someone like Jed said, who is essentially a celebrity who writes books that everybody reads, who draws big fees for um, speaking at conventions um, for um, having tons of money, notoriety, no oversight, who is the face of this gigantic business of which most people are just one of thousands upon thousands of people. And the word pastor, by the way, is it's a word that means shepherd. Um, a pastor is supposed to be someone who shepherds individuals through their spiritual journey, through their life, through the difficulties of and the problems and the issues that they face having relationships and making it through the circumstances of their life. There's a very interesting place in um, toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says to his guys who he's going to hand over um, the ministry that he started, and he says to them, do not let anyone call you father or teacher. You have one father, you have one teacher, and you are all siblings. Um, he also tells them the greatest among you is going to be the servant of all. When you look at this and you say, is this a part of a, a greater problem, a, a pattern of a greater problem? That is the heartbeat of the problem to these patterns. It, it's exactly what Jed and Matt are laying out. You're looking at a gigantic business, which this is, this is America. If you can make a gigantic business work, then more power to you. The problem is that we have attached things like church and pastor to this when that's never what those things were supposed to be. When you have, and, and unfortunately, if you have anybody who has this level of fame, money, notoriety, and no oversight, you're going to have these kinds of problems basically all the time. There's, I mean, like, I don't know what the percentage would be if you had, if you had perfect transparency, what the percentage would be on somebody that has this much influence and power, like never running into this kind of situation, but it's low. And that's the problem here is that we've, we've combined the concept of a gigantic celebrity driven business with the concept of pastoring a flock through their spiritual journey. Those two things are oil and water, and that's the problem that we have here. It's very interesting to me that in, um, which you can just go watch, you, you don't need to, but you could watch the, the so-called confession, and it's, it's exactly what these guys are saying, where the confession, instead of starting out, like Jed said, with we could all be understanding if there's a ton of humility and everything else, the confession started out in the first 30 seconds with the phrase, I want you to know that I fully intend to be the pastor here for the next 20 years. That was right there in the first half minute of the confession. And that is the thing is we've got a business, we've got a brand, we've got a model. We're going to hold on to that. We're going to make sure that we write the ship. You guys are all going to be on this thing. And at the end of the whole thing, people are, there was a standing ovation. And so we have somebody, <clears throat> A, a, a board of leadership has said, you can no longer do your job. He said, I agree with that. And yet he said, I will, however, be doing my job. And then we have everybody standing up and applauding. We have a problem here. <laughs> These two yep. things are not the same thing. That's not what being a pastor means. Being a pastor does not mean writing a best-selling book. 
It does not mean speaking at conventions. Being a pastor is about shepherding human beings through the struggles and the problems of their lives, through relationship, through listening to them, through walking with them. We have, we have, we have misappropriated jargon, terminology, and, and vocabulary words for what this thing is. And that's the problem that we're seeing here. Uh, incredibly well put. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I will, I will add a little bit of con of historical context. I was thought I was remembering this right, but I want to make sure. Um, so I'm looking at a website that, uh, also carried the news of, uh, the most recent thing, uh, called churchleaders.com. And they have a, a couple things on two other pretty large village church scandals, um, which I think hold this pattern we're talking about here. Um, so one is in, in 2015 when a member named Karen Hinckley, um, uh, her missionary husband, I, they were foreign missionaries. I can't remember where it doesn't say, um, was fired from his missionary organization for allegedly viewing child pornography. So this woman, uh, they were, uh, members at the, at the village. She sought an annulment of the marriage due to that, uh, totally reasonable. Uh, but village church leaders disciplined her and not the husband because she wasn't adhering to the village church's marriage protocols. Bragg says she feared similar discipline. Uh, this is another one and sees the church as posturing quite clearly. So this woman was on a foreign mission field, her husband, to, we don't know if he did or not, but to the point where there's must be incredible evidence where the missions organization was uh, firing him for uh, viewing pornography, featuring children. Um, and the village church's answer was, well, he's doing our counseling thing that we want to do. And you're not. So we're mad at you for trying to end this marriage. You are a church in Dallas, Fort Worth. You don't get to have marriage protocols. That's insane. (laughs) The scriptures have marriage protocols. States and bodies that issue marriage licenses have marriage protocols. You're just some dude in Dallas who writes books that people read. That's wackadoo. So the other part of this and the the other accusation that comes out a little bit later, I believe this one's in 2020 is a woman, uh, uh, says her daughter recounted, uh, being assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted by, uh, then associate, um, children's minister, Matthew Tun. Um, when she shared that there was really just a fair amount of, uh, bungling of handling that in exactly the way we're talking about it. Um, this guy was, uh, to be able to take a leave of absence for quote unquote personal reasons. And then the church let him go saying it was because of an alcohol problem. Um, they were very hush uh, hush about it. Um, Ch- although Chandler eventually told the congregation that a, re- a be- assault allegation had been raised. He didn't mention ton by name saying a police detective had asked him not to. So taking those two things and this current thing, again, I'm not, in, we're not in any way implying that the current situation has the abusive dimension that these two things did. But again, what you see is a giant money-making operation doing what giant money-making operations do to cover themselves when something goes wrong. And in between that, and again, we're not, we're not here to do a a referendum on whether Matt Chandler is a good guy or we like him or not. You can probably guess over 10 years have listened to this show, how we feel about a Southern Baptist mega mega church pastor in a lot of ways. But in between that, I think another thing that people just find kind of grating is Matt Chandler has been on stage at his church talking about radical transparency 
and about how men aren't men and no one takes responsibility. And he did a whole thing about how people uh, who are doing, who are part of the deconstruction movement are just doing it because they think it's like this new sexy thing to do. And it's like, well, dude, maybe they read stories about how churches, and again, they don't want you to know it. And you'd have to look pretty far into their website to find it. But the village church is part of the Southern Baptist convention. Right. There's a lot of reasons people are doing what they're doing and feeling the way they are. So to kind of go on this whole, to have this persona on stage as the truth teller and the, you're all scared, but I'm being bold and we have to be courageous. And then when it comes to a thing that might hurt your bottom line, go into PR mode is another instance of this that I think you are very right to find off-putting. Again, that doesn't have to, but I think we do need to separate that. That doesn't mean you have to find it as egregious as an actual situation that involves abuse or assault. If all that happened is this dude sent, you know, some text, uh, you know, some saucy language in a text message that no one else thought was a big deal. The other thing, as Lee is pointing out, if you watch the, uh, or read the transcript of the thing, he literally says, this is in the Christianity Today article. He literally on stage says, I don't think I did anything wrong. But, so there's that. But say he's right. Say it was just like, you know, he, he put the, the, the purple devil horns emoji and didn't know what that meant in other, to younger people and whatever. This is still a thing where someone who is telling other people that sun is the best, is the best disinfectant, and your sin will find you out, and you can't be afraid to make bold, courageous decisions and work through things and radical transparency. When it comes to a thing that messes with their money, they say, well, we're ongoing investigation and we don't want to say and da, 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 da. And if that's the only thing you find distasteful about this, that's enough to find it very distasteful. Right. Yep. It's enough to inform some ways you think about things. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And again, you can, I think, and we talk about, we've talked about this on the show in a lot of other scenarios, uh, particularly with Christian stuff and th- these kind of people we don't know for good or ill, like him or don't like him. I'm going to bet no one listening to this show actually knows Matt Chandler personally. I know I don't. Um, but this is not about, is this a good or a bad guy? This is about a larger thing that is a cultural phenomenon that you do get to have an opinion on to some extent. And you don't have to form that opinion based on, is this a great guy or a bad guy? Is he on my team? Is he on the other team? We can look at things. We can look at patterns. We can recognize those. We can decide that we like those or don't like those, that we want to be on the lookout for those in our own lives. We want to be able to look on the way mm-hmm. of those in organizations we are a part of, that we give our money to, that we give our time to. That's all good. That's all healthy. That's something you should be doing. We're going to move on to our second question here. Comes in and says, I'm getting tired of being the bigger person in some situations. Is that an okay thing to feel? What do I do with that feeling? I think it's a really, really cool question. And Jed, where do we start off with it? And I love this question, and I think I, at least on some level, get how you feel, and, and I am sorry for how you feel. I think that when you feel like there's a person you're having to deal with who's being kind of a jerk, and you're supposed to be the bigger person, I think there's a temptation to believe a couple things. The first is that the, the jerk person is getting away with their jerk person behavior and jerk person lifestyle, and the second is that you're doing this because it's the right thing to do and you're kind of getting left holding the bag and uh, that sucks for you. And when's your turn, man? And if, if you've had any of those thoughts or feelings, I, I totally get that, man. I, I can totally relate. 
The thing I want to encourage you to think about is most of the assumptions that underlie those feelings are actually incorrect. I'm not saying that they're morally wrong. I'm saying that they're factually incorrect. I want to make my pitch and you can do with it what you think, but you know, give, give it some thought. Here's the first thing. The idea that, that the jerk person is getting away with it. They're not jerky. People go on to live crappy, crappy lives. Jerky people don't have good friendships. They don't have good relationships. They, they have lives that suck, man. Um, because in the long term, the only people that are willing to be around them are fellow jerky people. Um, and, um, that's not great. That's, that's not a world that you want to live in. The idea that you should be the bigger person because it's the right thing to do. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. What I can tell you is that most of the time being the bigger person, which that can mean a lot of things, but, but most of the time being the bigger person is the choice that will pay off for you as soon as your feelings have subsided a little bit. Let me explain what I mean. Most of the time, being the bigger person is the thing that gets you out of a dramatic situation most effectively. It's the thing that gets you out of a needless conflict with the least fallout most of the time. It's the thing that gets you onto a better place in your life through the most direct path most of the time. The thing it costs you is not slaking your anger most of the time. That's the thing that it costs you. And the funny thing about it is that anger fades a lot faster than you think it will. If you're looking at a situation where you're like, I, I probably should be the bigger person, but I kind of don't, don't want to. Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself. Suppose that you, that you did, you, you're, you're the bigger person. How would you feel about that decision a month from now? How would you feel about that decision a year from now? Because I think most of the time, choosing to be the bigger person at something, you're going to be glad that you did that, honestly, a couple weeks from now. A year from now, most of the time, you are going to be glad that you did that. But now, with that in mind, and I really want to encourage you to think about that, I want to give you a couple of, of limitations on that idea. The first is, if you've developed a relationship with someone and they've proven that they're a jerk type person and you feel like the place I need to land is being the bigger person, that may well be the case for some of the reasons we just discussed, but that's also a good moment to begin to extract yourself from that relationship. That's a really, really good moment to diminish the amount of time that you spend with that person, the amount of energy you spend on that person. The thing about being the bigger person is it gives you an exit. Being the bigger person should not be about continuing to put up with nonsense. It should be about creating a graceful exit to no longer have to put up with this nonsense in the future. That's the part that really, really super matters. So then that leads to working on developing a sense of radar for people and situations that may require you to be the bigger person so that we can begin to put some safeguards in place to keep the jerk type person from doing the jerk type things that they probably are going to do, um, or at least significantly decrease the impact of those things. Just saying, we've talked about it before on this show. I'm going to say it again. When people tell you who they are, believe them. It's really super, super important. 
if you built a relationship with someone and you didn't realize they were a jerk type person and then they revealed their jerkitude for a bunch of functional reasons, much of the time being the bigger person probably is the right call for you. I'm not talking about moral stuff. I'm talking about it's probably best for you in terms of creating it easy for you to just move on with your life, but move on. Move on and diminish that person's presence in your life. Move on and get around positive people. Move on and build a life that's full of good stuff and good people where you don't have room for the jerkitude. The gift you give yourself by being the bigger person is the ability to do that quickly and directly because the one thing jerks love being more than jerks, the number one thing they love more than anything else is drama. When you decide to be the bigger person, you are depriving them of the thing they most crave, which is drama. Don't feed the trolls. Don't give the jerks drama. Move on with your life. Much of the time, being the bigger person is the fastest, easiest, most direct way to do that. And that's what I want for you. Absolutely right. That's all fantastic. And not the least of which the reuse of the phrase jerk type person makes me think of a new kind of Pokemon evolution. And it's like Charizard cast fireball. Daryl cast. Let me just play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very effective. And that's the Thanksgiving expansion pack for the new Pokemon. Yep. Hopefully we'll have ready in time for the holidays. Yeah. All great stuff there. Lee, what would we have to add? I really don't have a ton to add on that. The first part of what was going to be my response is something Jed already covered, which is just the fact that um, we need to look at how much of the repetition of being the bigger person means I, I haven't set some good boundaries that I need to look at setting and, and making a new plan for certain relationships in my life. So Jed said that in, in a more efficient way, we don't need to go over that again. That was fantastic. The thing that I would say from my experience of the second part of, of something Jed was talking about, but I'll just kind of put another angle on that, which is, you know, when you get, um, when you when you are the bigger person and you've and, and you're you're getting an exit for certain relationships and people in your life, the thing that we need to do is you may still have some residual emotion. I think Jed is exactly right that 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 anger is going to process faster than you think. However, <clears throat> you may still have some residual things that you feel that irk you that aren't really anger, but they they can remain as they can remain as bruises in a way. And, and when you think about that person or you hear that kind of phrase or something, even if that, even if that person is not really in your life at the same extent, it's like you can still feel some residual emotion off that. And the thing that I want to encourage you to do is if you have set good boundaries, if you've been the bigger person, if that anger has abated and yet you still just feel some weirdness and some emotional bruising from the things that you've been through. And it makes you feel like, man, I was punked. I wish I could go back and use the jerk store line, yep, you know, to yep. quote Seinfeld once again. Um, the thing that I would encourage you to do, and this is something that has worked for me is if you can take some of that emotional energy that right now is kind of directed at that person and back off of that a little bit and try your best to, Turn your emotional energy for that person into pity. If you can pity the person who was being a jerk towards you, then you are going to be more quickly set free to just live your better life. Yep. You, you have healthier relationships. You have better jokes. 
you have more fun, more belly laughs. You have a more full-hearted life with people who respect you and know how to be cool. Man, it must suck to be the kind of person who makes people in their life feel the way that person made me feel. Man, that must suck. Yeah. I'm not I'm not really mad at them anymore, but but boy, it it must suck to set fires wherever you go. Because in the end, man, you're just going to wind up burning your own house down. I'm not saying I want to walk back into that relationship, but I do kind of feel bad for them that they must be in a more isolated and more lonely situation than I than I probably have realized. That sucks for them. Feel bad for them, but I'm going to go live my life and that's the greatest revenge is you just <laughs> like if if I've got any emotional bruising or baggage left over, I'm just going to turn that graciously into some pity for you. Man, I feel bad for you. That must suck. And uh, and then I'm going to go live my full-hearted life. Um, I want to encourage you to try to figure out what it would take for you to just to, and, and this, is, <laughs> this is to go back to Matt's Pokemon uh, reference, to evolve whatever emotional oh. energy I have left into the next, the next stage of my Pokemon evolution is I don't actively hate you anymore. I don't act, I'm not actively angry at you anymore. I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you that 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 that's what you do in relationships as a as a pretty pronounced pattern. And uh, I'm going to go do this over here. That must suck. But I I hope you figure it out. Um, I hope you figure it out and you you make some changes and you get some some more solid relationships. I'm going to go do this over here. Uh, Check you later. And I think that what you're going to find is that turning some of that uh, kind of residual emotional bruising into into an honest pity is going to allow you to move on from that. And to just live your full-hearted life much more quickly. That's right, Bulbasaur. The next evolution is emotional maturity. (laughs) (laughs) All great stuff from these guys. We're going to move on to our final question here. Comes in and says, I was reading in Mark 11, 27 to 33. Jesus refuses to say on whose authority he was doing the things he was doing. That's really weird to me. Why not just say God? it's God's authority? What's going on in this passage? A very cool question and a, a... this is one of those passages of scripture. I actually had to look this one up, to be honest. You don't, you don't hear a lot of Sunday sermons on this particular passage, but a very, very interesting angle on it. And Jed, what would we have to say to this? Well, so that we're all on the same page, real, real quick, I'm turning to Mark eleven twenty-seven 27 to 33. Um, I'm, a, I'm reading the NIV here, but I'm going to read it for us. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him, quote, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked, quote, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, quote, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me, end quote. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, quote, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, oh, and then parentheses, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, quote, we don't know, end quote. Jesus said, quote, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So it sounds like they were going to do cancel culture to the Pharisees is what I took away from that. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Well, look, uh, one thing is um, Jesus, in addition to being divine, was a deep and complicated dude. So um, I think it's a mistake for anyone to say, I can tell you exactly what Jesus meant and why he said it that way. Uh, I will offer one layer that I strongly suspect is going on here that uh, I want you to think about, and I am encouraging you to think about. 
there is tremendous power in communicating to other people. I don't owe you an explanation. Come on now. I want to say that again, because I think many people have not heard that before. There is tremendous power in communicating to others. I don't owe you an explanation. If you have grown up in Christian culture, if you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up in a lot of very controlling religious families, you have been stewing in the idea that you owe everybody an explanation all the time. That random people could at any moment just come to you and say, tell me what your deal is and why you're on the things you're on. And that's a weird way to live, man. That's that's not it. That's not healthy. And in a funny way, actually, a lot of Internet culture has gotten in there with kind of a similar perspective of like at any moment, some rando could just pop up and, you know, you, you write on Facebook today was a nice day. And some rando pops up and says, justify yourself like. No. One of the one if you want peace in your life and, and like literally if I had one wish for people who listen to this podcast would be more peace. That's the thing that I most want for the people who listen to this podcast. If you want peace in your life, learning to assert that you don't owe others an explanation is one of the most powerful steps you can take towards peace. And one of the things I want to encourage you to think about is beginning to practice communicating that to others in small ways. And here's why. I bet when I say the phrase, I don't owe you an explanation, I bet that sounds angry to you. If you've not heard it before, I bet that sounds angry and I bet it sounds aggressive. It's not. It, it's a simple statement of fact. I don't owe you an explanation. I, I, may, I may owe you other things, but I, I don't owe you an explanation. That's not an aggressive statement. It's not an angry statement, but if you've never used it before, it probably feels that way. So I want to encourage you to look for little ways that you can begin to find your own way to communicate when it's right. I don't owe you an explanation. And one of the, mm-hmm. the easiest ways to start actually is going to be not responding to trolls online. Because most trolling does boil down to you must explain and defend yourself. And you choosing not to feed the trolls is actually you asserting in a very non-aggressive way, I don't owe you an explanation. I, I don't owe you a justification. The other thing that happens here and that's really, really important is the more that you give yourself permission to have thoughts you don't have to explain, desires you don't have to justify, wishes that you don't have to um, get people to sign on to, the more free you are to get in touch with your own thoughts and feelings and desires. When you feel like you have to justify and explain every thought and wish and hope you have, you're going to limit pretty strongly the hopes and wishes and dreams you'll allow yourself to have. I want you to have peace and I want you to have the freedom to feel the way you feel and think the way you think and desire the things that you desire and hope for the things that you hope for. And you create space for yourself in your own heart and mind and brain and et cetera, by creating boundaries for yourself where you recognize in an ongoing way, I do not owe other people an explanation for my thoughts and feelings and dreams and desires. And I am free to have them even when I can't explain them to myself. The fact that I have them is enough. I don't have to justify them. Very, very well put. And Lee, what would we close this out with? Well, um, <laughs> I would close it out just by adding a, a couple of little, just a couple of little colors 
and ideas to this because it was absolutely perfectly said. I agree with every single word Jed said. And um and I'm going to say a couple of things. One, there there have been times where I've been talking to people, they have given me the kind of response that in a very kind way communicated, I don't owe you any more than this response or I don't owe you an explanation for this. And I felt affronted or mistrusted in that way and and so just to keep it on a humble tack, I know how it feels to be on the receiving end of that and feel like, what did I do? Um, and, and I'll tell you why I think that's happened in my life. Um, I think that, and this is <laughs> unfortunately in my own um, emotional growth evolution um, journey, this has been much too recent a development. But um, I, have, I have recently been really, really trying to identify and eradicate as much judgment as possible from my thoughts, feelings, and words. So when, you know, uh, we're out somewhere and somebody walks by and, and somebody I'm with makes a, uh, you know, makes a, a fairly normal, not all that unkind, but just kind of reaction response to somebody's very, very different hairstyle. Um, like, whoa, did you see that? Like it, you know, it's like, there's a natural thing to kind of join in that. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Right. Just to kind of fit in or whatever. Um, my, it's like, and I know this seems like, hello, it's 2022. Where have you been? But it, this has been a, th- a thought that I've been kind of working with and trying to identify in myself over the past several number of years of like, I don't have to have any opinions about anybody's hair. I don't have to have any opinions about anybody's clothes. I don't have to have, have any opinions about anybody's team, anybody's whatever, anybody's desire to go to the thing that everybody's going to or anything. So I, I wanted to add to Jed's response a couple of things. Within myself, I want to eradicate all judgment, as much judgment as I can possibly eradicate. I know I'm still going to have judgmental attitudes and opinions. I'm, I'm hunting them down. I'm looking for them. I'm trying to get rid of them. And that helps me to have the confidence to have my own personal agency for exactly what Jed's talking about, which is I don't have the right to judge anybody. Therefore, um, the axiom is they actually don't have the right to judge me either. Yep. So um, one of the one of the little um, kind of layup practice things that I want to give you to add to Jed, the ones that Jed was saying was. The next time somebody invites you to a thing that you don't want to go to, you don't have to give 17 reasons why you don't want to go to that thing. <laughs> you don't have to make up another thing that you had to do with your brother or with the, you had to take the goldfish to a physical therapy appointment or whatever. You don't have to say anything. You can just say, I'm not going to be able to make it. That's it. I won't, I won't be at that. I'm not going to be able to make it. You don't have to, that is not a relationship damaging thing. And if it, by the way, if it is, you need to talk about that relationship. Yeah. You get to not go to things and you don't have to explain everything about that. And so we need to make sure that, that we realize I don't get to, I don't get to judge what somebody's music choices are. If, um, if this, if this coworker only listens to the Smiths, but this other coworker here thinks the Smith sucks and only listens to Taylor Swift 
neither of them are wrong or right. It's not my call. Um, I don't have to judge that. At all. I don't have to use any mental energy on that at all. But also that means that if I don't want to go to the fish fry, I don't have to explain that. I can just say I won't be going. Um, those of you who are not from the South, a fish fry is actually a thing I would always go to. I don't know why I used fish fry. <laughs> a fish fry is a lovely event. That's how there. out of pocket things would have to be. That's it's the level we've, we've gotten to. Won't go to the fish fry. That's All like that Defcon say, Five. And you know, I, I'm I'm trying to reveal as you know, put as much humility in the, in this thing as I can, and reveal about myself. I think that when I feel affronted by the kind of basic agency defining communication Jed's talking about, it's because I feel free to judge the crap out of a lot of people about everything. I'm trying to reduce that. But part of that is realizing other people don't have the right to to judge me either. And um, especially people, and I know we all have, have had experience of those people in your life that no matter how much goodwill you put into a conversation, they have the ability to turn it in such a way that it would harm you and you're the bad guy. Don't give those people the time of day. Don't give them the color of the sky. You don't have to respond. You don't have to say anything. One more note about Jesus. Before we got to this place in Mark chapter 11, John gives us a a similar type situation in chapter two of his gospel. I mean, right out of the gate, these people were talking to Jesus about some stuff. He didn't want to have the conversation. And And it said at the very end of John chapter two, he would not entrust himself to any of them for he knew what was in people. We already know what's in people because it's in us. We don't have to entrust every detail about ourselves, explain everything about ourselves to everybody. We know that people are judging us. We know that people have a lot of opinions. We know that certain people want to run our our calendars and our tastes and everything. And Jed's exactly right. The faster you take agency, the the faster you start to get in touch with exactly who you are, what you want to do with your Saturday, and and whether or not you want to go to the fish fry. I hope you want to go to the fish fry. I'd love to see you there. I heard the hush puppies are going to be banging. But all that to say, the agency, it has to do with judgment. It has, it, it, it has to do with people who want to run your life, and you don't have to let it happen. Absolutely right. Two, two important uh, things to, to add on the end of this. One, to, to our Midwestern friends, a fish fry, think of it as deconstructed hot dish. <laughs> you're used to everything being combined in one casserole pan for reasons that really defy expectation and logic. A fish fry is uh, all those incredibly unhealthy ingredients, but uh, on separate parts of the plate. I'm trying to bridge a cultural divide here. Well you're done, a uniter, Matt. Matt King. Thank you. The other thing is Lee's very good example about, you know, one person who listens to the Smiths and one person who just wants to listen to Taylor Swift it gave me the idea for the most accursed mashup genre of all time which is my okay. Taylor Smith album, which is all <laughs> mashups of Taylor Swift songs and Morrissey songs. Wow. And if anyone makes or listens to that, that is the, ex- that is the, the exception to the rule. You are right to judge them. Cause that <laughs> ought not be. But other than that, all fantastic stuff from these guys. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, again, both those addresses are in your episode description if you just scroll right down Taylor song this week this is uh, from the bridge live archives this is jed leaving over the bridge and his version song you tell me got that thanks for listening to this morning. we love you god bless you there's nothing you can do about it would you help me to hear you 
Grab a seat. 